G'day folks, welcome to episode 174 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. It's Friday the 26th of August and I'm Alex Murray. So this week we're going to dive into this recent discussion around a new feature that's going to be rolling out in GNOME 43, which would be in Ubuntu 22.10, the currently in development Kinetic Kudu, around trying to expose device security information to users. A bit of a storm and a teacup that's surrounded that. Uh, so yeah, we'll dive into that a bit later. But first we will do the usual roundup of security fixes that have gone and supported Ubuntu releases over the past week. So this week, been a bit quieter, only 12 CVEs that were addressed by the team, but up first we had an update for Zlib and Rsync. In this case, a single CVE that was fixed in both packages. For Zlib, that's for uh, Ubuntu 14.04 and 16.04 extended security maintenance and 18.04 long-term support. And for Rsync, that's 16.04 extended security maintenance, 18.04 and 20.04 long-term support. In this case, the vulnerability is in uh, Zlib itself. Uh, that's a heat buffer overread in uh, decompressing a gzip header. In this case, it would actually require an application to call the inflate get header function. So not necessarily everything that's using Zlib would be uh, exposed to this, you know, even if it is decompressing uh, gzip compressed data. Uh, in this case, uh, because it is a heat buffer overread, the most likely impact is just a crash because you're going to read outside of mapped memory segments and get a segmentation violation. Uh, in this case, though, uh, it turned out the original fix from Upstream actually introduced a regression. So then a few days later, Upstream released an extra patch to fix that. And uh, unfortunately, a few other distros that were very quick to jump on this and patch it were affected by that. Uh, we took a little longer. So yeah, we were able to include the second fix in the original update. Uh, when I talked about this originally, I said, yeah, it also affected Rsync. That's because particularly older versions of Rsync included their own copy of Zlib, so that needs to be patched separately. Later versions of Rsync, like in Ubuntu releases uh, 22 for long-term support and later uh, are now use the system-installed uh, Zlib library. So that means we only need to patch Zlib once there and uh, Rsync gets patched as well. So yeah, that was fixed for Zlib and Rsync. Postgres was updated as well for a single CVE for uh, the long-term support releases. So that's 18.04, 20.04, and 22.04 long-term support. In this case, it allowed possible code execution as the Postgres super user in Postgres via uh, various extensions. Uh, some of these are bundled internally with Postgres itself. Some may come from external sources. And so the Postgres developers have been able to put a fix in for this uh, in core Postgres itself, which means you don't have to go, thankfully, and update all your various extensions uh, that you may have got from third parties to fix this one. So that's good to see. We had an update as well for the Linux kernel for a couple of releases. So uh, three CVEs for our 604 extended security maintenance customers uh, running in AWS. That's a 4.4 kernel. Uh, three, the three issues here are all, all in the Zen Para Virtualization uh, subsystem. Uh, one of these is in the virtual block driver and another is in the Para Virtualization front end. Both of these failed to properly initialize memory. Uh, that means it's then got the contents of whatever was already in there and that then could allow a local attacker to see guest memory contents if that was already in that uh, memory before it was used. Uh, the third vulnerability was uh, another memory management issue, but in the para virtualization front end, which could end up sharing unrelated data when communicating with various backends. As a result, that could possibly lead to a crash of the guest because you're essentially giving the wrong data than it's expecting or uh, an information leak of guest memory as well. The kernel for uh, some of our OEM platforms on 24 long-term support was updated. That's a 5.14 based kernel at the moment. One issue in the Intel 10 Gigabit Ethernet PCI Express driver, uh, it had insufficient control flow management that could allow a local user to cause a denial of service. 
As well, are the frame buffer driver failed to verify size limits when changing font and screen sizes? That could lead to uh, a heap memory out of bounds write, and as a result, uh, denial of service by crashing the kernel or potentially code execution, and as a result, privilege escalation from that one. Exim was updated for Ubuntu 14.04 and 16.04 extended security maintenance, uh, 18.04 and 20.04 long-term support. In this case, it was a single vulnerability, which was a single byte heap buffer overflow when doing a hostname lookup uh, under certain configurations. Basically, it failed to account for a terminating null or zero byte at the end of a string, and you could end up overwriting that byte that would then leave the string without a trailing null. Uh, then further functions would essentially run off the end of the string and run into you know, subsequent memory, and so you could then get a subsequent buffer overflow as a result, uh, overwriting even more memory. There's a good write-up of this one on GitHub that I've linked to in the show notes. Uh, in this case, though, it did require to have a particular custom configuration where uh, the value of one of the configuration items references the global value sender hostname. So if you didn't have a configuration like that, you're unlikely to be affected by that. But if you did, yeah, that has now been patched as well. LibXSLT was updated for a huge number of releases. So this is uh, 14.04 and 16.04 extended security maintenance, 18.04, 20.04, and 22.04 long-term support. A couple of different CVEs here. Uh, one of these was actually originally reported against the Blink uh, web browser engine. That's Google's, I guess, kind of continued fork of Chromium. Uh, in that case, it was a heap corruption via crafted uh, HTML. And so it wasn't initially obvious that that was actually applying to the general LibXSLT package as well. Uh, plus, though, we also rolled in a fix for a type confusion bug when handling crafted XML. That could also result in a heap buffer overflow. Twisted was updated for Ubuntu 22.04 for long-term support. A single CVE here. Uh, this was a HTTP desync attack. Uh, that's another form of HTTP request smuggling. We've talked about that, I guess, a number of times in this podcast. Uh, in this case, uh, it would parse various HTTP requests more leniently than permitted by uh, RFC 7230. As a result, that could then allow various requests uh, through that should have been blocked and hence lead uh, to a desync between it and, say, the front end uh, if you're uh, having that request pass through multiple different HTTP parsers. As a result, then, uh, that's an instance of request smuggling because you're getting requests through that shouldn't be allowed to. They're smuggled in and therefore you can get access potentially to privileged endpoints that should have been blocked. And finally, this week, uh, there was an update for OpenVM tools for our long-term support releases, 18.04, 20.04, and 22.04 for long-term support. A single CVE, uh, it failed to properly check access controls on certain requests. Uh, so taking a step back, OpenVM tools is uh, the tooling used for managing uh, VMware virtualized guest machines. So as a result, then, uh, essentially, it's used to you know, send commands to the uh, agent running in the VM and control certain things about it. So a user that could uh, have, say, unprivileged access within the VM through OpenVM tools could then essentially get admin access as a result within that VM. So it's a privilege escalation, but only within uh, the virtual machines themselves, not on the host. And that is it for the week in security updates. Okay, so the other topic that I wanted to have a look at this week was a recent discussion around this new device security panel that is in uh, the GNOME settings for the upcoming Ubuntu 22.10 release. So GNOME 43, uh, which will be in Ubuntu 22.10, the Kinetic Kudu, has a new uh, device security panel within uh, GNOME Control Center, also known as, I guess, settings, the cog icon that you see in your GNOME shell. So uh, this new panel is designed to show an assessment, really, of the security of the hardware platform. And obviously, being security-related, I thought it would be interesting to have a uh, discussion about... Oh, 
And being security related, I thought yeah, it would be pertinent to have a talk about that. In particular, uh, the desktop team you know, reached out to the security team to get our uh, thoughts on this as well. So the bug was filed uh, by Jeremy Bitcher from the Ubuntu desktop team, uh, kind of saying that this new panel, which is in uh, the settings, is perhaps a bit confusing for users and is the kind of thing we should maybe not enable for the new Ubuntu release. Let's take a step back though and have a look at what it's about. So within Linux, uh, there's the component for WAPD, that's uh, the firmware updater daemon that is used to update uh, UEFI BIOS and other sorts of firmware that's on your machine. It's now growing this capability to try to assess the platform security of the machine. Uh, the FWAPD developers have designed this HSI security levels and it's designed really to raise the awareness of platform security issues to end users and ultimately I think to try to pressure uh, device manufacturers into improving the security of their devices out of the box. Nowadays, uh, with hardware uh, support, there are a lot of things you can do to try to make the machine more secure. Obviously, you know, simple things like enabling UEFI Secure Boot, which is supported in Ubuntu. Uh, then there are further things like making sure you've got the IOMMU enabled. Uh, that makes sure that you know things can't overwrite or devices can't overwrite arbitrary memory and things like that. Uh, and there's lots of other smaller things you can do as well. Obviously, uh, enabling use of a TPM device, um, making sure the Intel Boot Card is enabled, uh, and a, a bunch of other things too. So so this new settings panel is designed to kind of expose that information to users and it does it in uh, well four different levels. Level zero, which is basically you're not secure. Level one, two, and three are then kind of incrementing levels of security on top of that as uh, the developers have designed it. And so it sort of ticks off different elements like you know, maybe you've got a TPM2 present that gets you one tick or maybe you, know, you don't have the IOMMU enabled. That then means you wouldn't say meet level two of security and the like. Uh, and the idea is then you can see this and then as a user, you can look at that and go, ah, cool, you know, I am secure or no, I'm not secure. And I guess the problem that uh, as Ubuntu developers that we see in this is that, you know, it's, it's all well and good, I guess, to raise security awareness to users. But if there's nothing actionable they can do about that, uh, we feel this maybe creates more harm than good. In particular, you know, a lot of our users are passionate, you know, they're going to look at this and go, oh no, okay, I'm not secure. What can I do, say, uh, to enable Intel CET? Now, this is a technology we actually talked about all the way back in episode 79. I've got a link in that to the show notes. Uh, Joe McManus, then my co-host on the podcast, uh, talked with John Johansson on our team about Intel CET, control flow enforcement technology. It's a way of making sure that with compiler support that things like uh, you know, control flow attacks, so that's things like uh, return-oriented programming and other sorts of uh, techniques that try to uh, attack against things like memory corruption vulnerabilities, uh, that they're not so successful. Uh, it includes things like a shadow stack and the like to make sure that you, know, you protect the contents of the stack, you can't easily override stack pointers and, and the, that kind of thing too. But yeah, so it has this green tick whether you've got Intel CET enabled or not. Now that's uh, you know kind of dependent on both hardware. You know, so you say the you know, Intel Tiger Lake is the first um, processor that supports that. You know if you haven't got that kind of processor, obviously you're not going to be able to meet that. But even if you do, then it's really up to things like Ubuntu to make sure that we compile our whole stack with CET enabled. And we have been doing that for a few releases now. However, uh, the kernel is the one really remaining part of that that doesn't have uh, CET support compiled in. Intel are still working on patches for that and getting those upstream into the kernel. I think their most recent uh, update was that that may be due in the pending 6.1, so the next kernel release that may come out. But yeah, that is still uh, to be done. So, you know, there's no way you can easily get, say, Intel CET uh, you know, ticked. And so you're never going to meet that um, security level two, I believe, that fits it within. 
uh, you know, you could potentially do that. Maybe you could go, all right, I'm going to go and recompile my kernel. But maybe when you do that, you forget to enroll your own, uh, you know, or you forget to sign it and then enroll your own keys, uh, you know, in the machine owner key. And that then means actually your secure boot now is broken. And so then you're not even able to reboot or you're not able to boot back into your machine. And so for uh, Ubuntu developers, we see this really as, you know, it's well, well and good to expose this information to users, but if there's no easy way that they can remediate that, it maybe creates more harm than good because then they could potentially essentially denial of service themselves uh, by trying to enable some of these technologies out of band without, you know, appropriate guardrails. So ideally, I guess, you know, if GNOME wants to do this, we would like to see you know, inline uh, sort of remediation for this. Essentially, you know, if there's a thing there saying, you know, you don't say have secure boot enabled, you would be able to just sort of press a button and turn it on. Or, you know, you don't have, I don't know, so the IMMU enabled, you could press a button and that would somehow turn that on. You know, effectively in that case, it would maybe enable the setting in, uh, in your BIOS or uh, in, say, the kernel command line to turn that on. There's lots of different things that you know, need to be done there. Uh, so yeah, it's not, this isn't an easy problem, uh, particularly to remediate, but yeah, we don't really wanna, I guess, introduce this thing when it's half-baked, creates more alarm than not. And yeah, we really want uh, security to be actionable and to be usable by users. We don't really wanna alarm them uh, by presenting uh, things to them that you know says, hey, you're not secure, but ultimately that user's machine was always in that state. You know, Maybe they've already disabled secure boot for good reasons. And you know, then we're telling them, hey, you're not secure at all because you haven't even got secure boot enabled. And that may not be true. You know, obviously they're probably getting uh, updates installed automatically with unattended upgrades. They've probably got a host firewall enabled and many other things that actually do add into their security. Now, obviously you, know, you can look at that and go, well, if the platform itself isn't secure, you're not really secure. But if you do have those sort of initial uh, sort of defense in depth uh, things, you know, it's harder to then be exploited in the first place such that you know, your boot process can be compromised. So yeah, security is not uh, kind of an all in one thing, a take it or leave it approach. We really do believe in uh, defense in depth and sort of this multi-layer approach and we really don't want to be alarming our users by potentially saying to them hey you're not secure now the interesting thing about this uh, because i said it's uh, done through fwapd you can actually get an assessment of this yourself on the command line if you're running say ubuntu 2204 long-term support you can run fwapd manager security FWAPD MGR security and that will give you uh, the output that's the same thing that you would essentially see in this new GNOME panel and you kind of get your know, green ticks or uh, red crosses depending on whether you meet these different things and actually if you run that uh, or if, you know, if I run that on my machine at the moment on 224 long-term support I actually get a message back saying uh, the HSI specification is not yet complete to ignore this warning use dash dash force so it's interesting to see that at least for this version that we have in 224 long-term support uh, the FWAPD developers so Richard Hughes in this case uh, recognize that this spec is not not complete and this isn't necessarily something that you know we want to be servicing the users automatically they need to then go and pass dash dash force to even get this security assessment displayed to them so yeah i guess uh, richard's view on this has perhaps changed since then to now where we want to be exposing this in the main settings ui to users but yeah we do uh, kind of actually agree with that assessment this really isn't ready for prime time yet uh, we do really want to enable this you know i do think uh, personally that um, showing this stuff to users is a really good way to educate them and to help them improve their own security but i don't think it's uh, really helpful if there's no actionable steps that they can take to improve their security after that so yeah hopefully in the future uh, gnome will start then i guess building out ways that users can actually enable these things themselves as well all from that same ui so not only can you be told potentially that you're insecure but then you can go and easily remediate that as well and that would be awesome to see so yeah like i guess i hope that in the future that's how it goes and then we can have uh, this kind of stuff enabled um, it's not impossible that we wouldn't still enable this without that but i do think you know these things do need to go hand in hand we can't just kind of be uh, raising alarm for users without giving them a way to protect themselves as well easily
And actually, Richard, you know, he commented on this uh, bug that uh, that uh, Jeremy originally opened, saying, "So I suppose not knowing is more secure. So essentially, not knowing that you're you don't have this security makes you more secure." And now, on the face of it, no, obviously, not knowing doesn't make you more secure. You know, ignorance is not bliss in this uh, in this scenario. However, maybe it is because uh, if you don't know, then you're not going to go ahead and try to do you know backdoor ways to try to enable these security technologies where you may inadvertently shoot yourself in the foot and uh, denial of service yourself against your own machine. So yeah, we do feel uh, that without, I guess, uh, actionable steps that users can take, this isn't the best way forward yet. But yeah, do look out for that one. Uh, we do hope we can roll that out in a future Ubuntu release. But at this point, anyway, for 22.10, that won't be coming uh, to Ubuntu. But you can always get it from the command line. So yeah, you can always run Flop View Manager Security and see that report for yourself. Okay, so that takes us to the end of this week's episode. Uh, as usual, if you want to get in contact with the team, you can email us at security@ubuntu.com. We do hang out in the Ubuntu security channel on libera.chat, and we're on Twitter too, at Ubuntu underscore sec. So thank you all for listening again for another week. We'll be back again with you all next week, but until then, remember, keep calm, because we've got your back, and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.